This message was recorded live at Elevate Church in Erie, Pennsylvania. As followers of Christ, we follow a God who was crucified, dead, buried, got up, walked out of the tomb, demonstrating that there's nothing that you and I can't walk out of. He doesn't love me based on my performance. God loves me based on my position. It matters so much that we imitate Christ and we live out those principles. There's nothing that you could do. There's, there's no great sin that you could have ever committed that would be a barrier between you and Jesus. To learn more about Elevate, how you can get connected, or how you can support the work that Elevate is doing in Erie, visit elevatechurch.com. Well, how is everyone doing? I feel like we already had church. I think I can go home after that song. I don't know how you guys feel about it. That was incredible. Like, Mary can get up there. I'm just telling you, that voice, unbelievable. Hey, I want to welcome you. My name is Colby. I'm the pastor here. If this is your first week, you picked a great week to come because we are in the series. We are like, like headfirst into a series called Fresh, talking about all the resolutions, those things that, that the goals that we have as we enter into the new year, there really is no better time of a year than to hit the reset button in our lives, to start over, to have this blank slate, so to speak. And so week one, we talked about planting this seed, right? Not to despise these small beginnings, because a lot of times we'll, we'll all right, this is the year. I'm gonna make miracles happen. This is the year. I'm gonna go to the gym. I'm gonna get up. So January 1, you go to the gym. Three weeks later, you're like, I don't see any results. Like, what is up with this? You know, for me, I'm doing like six-minute abs, like six days a week, and I'm like, where are you? I think you're in there somewhere. I just haven't found them yet. So I know we can despise, we can hate on these small beginnings, but we need to learn to look past the seed, right, to the harvest that that seed can become. And last week, we talked about how we are body, soul, and spirit. And I don't know if you realize this, but, but the greatest part of you, the part of you that lives on forever, is your spirit person. That's the part of God that he's put inside of every single one of us. And if we really wanna make some changes that affect us externally, it starts with some of those internal changes that we need to make. It really begins uh, from the inside, that behaviors that we wanna see different start with these fundamental beliefs on the inside. And so 2018 really does have the potential, I believe, to be the best year of your life if it's the best year of your life spiritually. So today, we're gonna launch into a topic that uh, the churches uh, are hated over. Whenever churches talk about money, there's all kinds of pushback, there's all kinds of tension in the room. And I understand that because maybe you come from an environment where you know your, your church would, would send you letters every single month. Hey, you forgot to tithe or you forgot got to do this. But the reason why we're talking about it is because God's word has so much to say about it. In fact, one of the reasons why we're talking about it is because, do you know what the number one cause of divorce is? Is money. In fact, the number one stressor in the home has to do with money. And so the Bible has a lot to say about how we handle our money. And if, if you really want a fresh start, to your finances, I'm just praying that this will kind of be a, a jumping off point. This is, well, there's no way we can cover everything we need to cover about budgeting and about spending and about finances in 30 minutes or so. But let this be kind of a launching pad for us. And my prayer is that we would experience or begin to experience some freedom in our finances. 
that I believe, and I work from this premise, that many of you in this room, you have a great heart of generosity. I really do believe that. But some of us are in a place where there are things that we'd love to act on, but our finances are in control of us instead of us being in control of our finances. And the Bible talks about this in 1 Timothy. He says in this area of money, oftentimes we have a wrong perspective because people wanna get rich, so they fall into temptation and into a trap. And doesn't that, uh, isn't that what debt feels like sometimes, right? It feels kind of like a trap, like this, this black hole that you feel trapped and, and strapped and into many foolish desires uh, and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. And as your pastor, that's what I don't want to happen in your life. You know, I wanna help us avoid some of these pitfalls of ruin and destruction and disaster. Because what's the deal? He goes on to say, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So money isn't bad in and of itself, but the way we approach it, our focus on it, our attitude towards it is. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Goes on to say, some people eager for it, that are desperate for it, that their lives revolve around it, their focus is on it. Watch this. They wander from the faith. Have you noticed that? Like I've noticed that, that a lot of times this is that subject that, that pushes people away from the church, pushes people away from God, pushes people away from faith. They will wander from the faith because of this very topic, or at very least it says, pierce themselves with many griefs. And maybe you walk through these doors today and this describes the way that you feel. In regards to your finances, you feel pierced with many Griefs, pierced by life, pierced by decisions, pierced by the circumstances that you're in. In fact, this is what Jesus says, that wherever you put that, your treasure, your heart is going to follow it. And again, I would say most of us, we want to put our heart towards God, that that's kind of why we're here. We show up in church because we want to live right, we wanna follow God's example for our lives. And Jesus says, all right, if you, you love me, you need to put your stuff in that direction toward me because wherever your treasure is, he says, your heart follows, right? Treasure and heart, treasure and heart. Your treasure is tied to your heart. Jesus says it's the number one competitor for me is your treasure. And if you love me, you need to have the right perspective about this area. So what I wanna do with our time today is I'm gonna give us some very practical principles to start out with. But then I wanna talk about some fresh principles. I wanna look kinda of just beyond some of these, these numbers. And when I, I talk about these kind of five uh, principles, the best person to be up here talking to you about this would be my wife. My wife is incredible. She gets embarrassed when I talk about her in this way, but she's a CPA. She has set this church up for the financial success that we experience. It's not because we have a lot coming in. It's just because we work really well with what we have. We're great stewards of what God has given us, and that's by and large due to the, the standards and the procedures and the operation that, that my wife has set us up for here in this church. But when she married me, she went from a very structured fiscally smart money management kind of organization to chaos, right? Because she married the guy that would sign up for credit cards to get the free t-shirt, that was me. I have a t-shirt from MBNA, I have a t-shirt from Discover Card, I got t-shirts from Diners Club International, you know what I'm talking about, Visa, Master, I got all the t-shirts. 
And so I like to think on some levels, I delivered her from the boring accounting, you know, life that she was experiencing. She needed to jump into my dysfunction a little bit in Jesus' name. But when we were called to plant a church together, we'd seen it all. In fact, we'd experienced it all. We'd seen some uh, firsthand how poor budgeting process in a church could really tear down a church. And so we wanna just kind of do this in a life-giving sort of way that there's gotta be a better way to set a church up for success. Now, a lot of people will push back on this and say, well, the church isn't a business. It shouldn't operate like a business. And that's fine to say, but try telling that to the IRS, right? You know what I'm talking about. When they come knocking. So my wife really has positioned us well, and if she had the opportunity to talk to you about, about your spending, about your budget, and she's done that with several people, sat across their kitchen table, she would give you these five principles I want you to write down. Just write these five down real quick. The first is you gotta work on earning, all right? That's, that's kind of common sense. Like if you don't have any money coming in, then there's nothing really to manage. And there's no secret sauce to this, all right? You just gotta earn more, you just gotta work more, get, get another job, you gotta work on your earning. And so I would tell the young people in the room, hey, don't sit on the couch playing video games until you're 25 years old. Come on, parents, amen? Get a job. Like, get out there, join the workforce, make some, some money, create some margin in your life, pay off some, some debt, like, I promise you, in fact, uh, stats show, and we're gonna look at this in a few weeks, we're doing a relationship series, but the ladies are looking, like 80% of people think, you know, that, that guy you're looking for better have a job. So just saying, guys, you know, put the fact that you have a J-O-B on your Tinder account, and the ladies will be swiping right on you all day, all right? <laughs> I have no data to back that up. That's a... <laughs> Empty claim, you know, that I just made. In fact, you shouldn't be on tender, but we'll keep going. Um, <laughs> but if you're strictly gonna look at numbers, right, you gotta start there. You gotta start with your earning, what's, what's coming in. And then number two, you look at what's going out. You gotta look at your, your spending habits. Did you know that more than 90% of Americans don't have a budget, they have no idea like what's, what's coming in, what's, what's going out. They just spend, 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 hoping that there's not more month than there is money, right? And so they're just kind of spending, spending, spending. You have to look at your spending. The third thing she would tell you is look at your savings. And this is not just a financial principle, by the way. This is a biblical one. Proverbs 21.20 says, in the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but it's the fool that spends everything that he has, so the Bible says, man, you can't spend all that you have. You need to save. However, the average American spends 136% of their income. Like that doesn't work, all right? Just so you know, that's not good. And so if you sat across the table from a financial planner, from my wife, they would tell you, hey, you need to have a reserve. Have a reserve. Like get together an, an emergency fund of like $1,000. $1,000, it seems, you know, I'm never gonna get there. Well, you take $5, that $5 seed. And then instead of going to Starbucks three times this week, take $5, $10, throw it in that account, and save up till you get $1,000, then start paying off some of your debt. And as you do, try to acquire, you know, three to five months of expenses in that account. That's what they would tell you to do. The saving part is important. You need to save for a rainy day. That, that day's coming, right? The furnace is gonna break. Your tires are gonna you know, go flat. You're gonna need to replace those. The fourth thing they would tell you to do is, and this can be fun, it can also make you cuss a little bit, and that is investing, all right? 
So some of you know this. Sometimes it can be, you know, one of these things like, man, I, I put towards my kid's college fund and last year it was this and now it's kind of gone down. But investing, when you get to this point, now you're not working for money, your money's working for you. You're setting aside a portion of it with hopes, you know, that it's going to gonna grow. And what's, what's cool about this, especially if you're a young person, especially if you're a newlywed or you're in high school or college, those of us who are older would tell you it's not the amount that's your, your ally, it's the time. And if you would start now, just setting a little bit aside now with hopes that it will grow, like compound interest is a beautiful thing. In fact, do you know what the average car payment is in the United States? It's $484 a month. That's crazy right there, $484 a month. And do you know what? If you took that, that car payment, that $484 a month, and just didn't have to have the new car, just drove the car that you have, right, until it dies, and then maybe buy another clunker for 1000 bucks or so, but you take that $484 a month as a 25-year-old, you put it into a, a moderately um, kind of interest rate kind of account investment, that $484 from 25 to 65 turns into $5 million. Hope you like your new car, right? Like $5 million, you can buy whatever car you wanna buy. So compound interest is a beautiful thing and they would tell you, you need to invest. You need to invest when you get to that point. And the last thing that they would say, and a lot of financial planners won't talk about this unless there is some tax benefit, honestly, to you, and that is giving, giving. Um, but people generally know that at some point your life should reflect charity, that, that you should think about the legacy that you are, are leaving. And the average American, by the way, gives away 3% of their income. Do you know how much the average Christian gives away? 3.8. Enough said. I'm gonna keep moving on. 3.8. Now, listen to me, if you were to take these five principles of, of earning and spending and saving and investing and giving, and you worked on these alone, like you would begin just with those to experience some financial freedom. Like those, those things would, would have an impact in your life. And I wouldn't just give you those and leave you hanging. That's why in March, uh, you'll, you'll hear more about it, but we're gonna host a Financial Peace University class here at this church, probably the biggest one that we've done because we really do believe that God's best for you is not to be you know, slave to the lender, that he really does want us to experience some financial freedom. So be looking for that. But, and here's where we're gonna go today. As followers of Jesus, we believe that there's more. We believe that there's more than just these natural principles, these natural laws that we should live by, but that we live and serve a supernatural God who oftentimes his principles don't make sense to man. In fact, here's what Haggai 1, uh, chapter one, verse five says, Haggai, we're going real deep today, all right? Uh, you don't have to go searching for it in your text. We'll put it up on the screen. But it says, now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Because a lot of us are just doing numbers, right? We're just, we're kind of working the numbers, working the system. And that's good, that's good. But give careful thought to your ways. You're planting much, but harvesting a little. You eat, but it's not enough. So something's missing 
He says, he goes on to say, you drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages. And this is how many of us feel, only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Doesn't it feel like that sometimes? As, as quick as it's coming in, right, it's going right back out. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Could there be a higher way? Could there be a higher principle at play than just kind of the, the financial principles that I gave you? Could there, in fact, be some fresh kind of God principles? And the answer is, is yes. Time and time you look through God's word. In fact, God's word has, has more to say uh, about money than heaven and hell combined. God's word has, has five times more to talk, say about money than prayer. Jesus said it's the number one competitor for our heart. Uh, half of the parables that, that Jesus uh, told, these, these stories, talks about our money, talks about our possession and our, our giving, but you can't just think of it in the natural kind of level. And so what I wanna do is give us a fresh perspective, a fresh approach to these five principles that I gave you. 1 Corinthians 1.20 says, where's the wise man? Where's the scholar? Where's the philosopher? Where's the, the smart financial you know, planner? Where are all those guys? God makes all those things foolish. They're not foolish, but those things are foolish that God sees differently. That his ways, the Bible says, are not our ways. That his thoughts are not our thoughts. They're higher than ours. So I wanna look today beyond the numbers, beyond just doing the math, but have a fresh approach to our finances. So if you remember the first principle, it was earning. Earning, earning, earning. Do whatever you have to do, move away, take on a second job, a third job, no matter what, you have to earn more. And there really is a higher principle at play. Write it down, and that is calling over compensation. In other words, at the end of the day, how much money you make is not ultimately going to fulfill you. What's gonna fulfill you is that you discovered what life is all about. What's gonna fulfill you is not you running and chasing after how much you can make, but what you, in fact, are made for. And I promise you, this changes everything. Then I'm not just chasing the, the coin. I'm not just chasing, you know, Bitcoin. I'm chasing God's call on my life. And that's what Crash Course is all about, by the way. I was talking to one of our, our serve team members, uh, an awesome guy who's been in this church for a while, and he came up to me. He said, Colby, you know, what's, you know what I love about this church? And I'm like, no, what do you love about this church? He said, it's genius. And I said, thank you very much. I, I, it's, yes, it is. <laughs> no, he says, it's genius because you get people like serving in the area of their giftedness like rallied around the, the thing that fulfills them while at the same time, like advancing the mission of reaching people who are far from God, you know, and seeing them reach their full potential in Christ. He's like, it's brilliant. I'm like, you got it. Like, that's, that's it. That the secret to your life is not about how much stuff you can accumulate. It's discovering why you are on this earth. And that's when you are truly fulfilled. And that's why I say, man, stay, stay later today. 
Come to Crash Course. In fact, this is week three of Crash Course. It's called the Me I Want to Be. We'll, we'll do a spiritual gifts kind of analysis, a personality kind of test. Bring your number two pencils and your Scantron. It's gonna be a great time. We'll feed you, watch your kids. I'm kidding about the Scantron. But you gotta discover your design and how God's wired you because that's gonna point to your destiny because here's the deal, write it down. We don't just need money to live on. We need a calling to live for. Hey, are you living for that calling? Are you thinking more in terms of calling or compensation? And if I can just frankly talk with some of the husbands and the fathers in the room, you already know what most of that calling is. Maybe you haven't identified it, maybe you're searching after other things, but, but dads, husbands, the moment you said, I do, you actually said, I don't, to pursuing some selfish ambition. Like the moment you said, I do, what you're saying is, you know what, I do make God the, the center of, of, of my life and of this marriage, that he's first, that my, my wife is second, that my kids are third, and then anything after that, that's just kind of a, the other calling that we're going to do together. But oftentimes, I'll talk to so many guys like, well, I'm, I'm just, I'm providing for my family. I'm doing the best that I can do. And the best that they can do is saying they're, they're gonna be gone from home four to five nights a week. Really, is that best? Is that best? Well, I'm gonna pay for their, my kid's college one day. Do you think at the end of your life, your daughter's gonna say, your son's gonna say, my dad was awesome, he paid for my school? Or are they gonna say, my dad was awesome, he spent so much time with me, leading me, pointing me to Jesus, pouring into me. Hey, listen, we need to get this. I'm not saying there might be a season in your life where you have to do whatever you can to, to make ends meet, but ultimately, like when you said I do, like you, are, you understood what a lot of your calling is, that is taking care of your wife and your, your kids, and if you'll, you'll figure out what you were created for, not just what you can live on, like, it's better than any amount of money that you can ever make. Paul said it this way, I consider my life worth nothing. Like zero, zilch, right? Nada if I wasn't doing what God called me to do. He said, if I can only finish the race and complete the task, this call the Lord has given me. And a lot of times we'll push back and say, yeah, well, that was Paul, right? This great man of God. Yes, that was Paul, but you have a call on your life as well. Here's the second area, jotted down. If we were looking at numbers only, and you sat across the kitchen table from my, my wife, she would look at your spending. All right, what's going out? Like, you better have a, you better name every dollar, right? You better make sure you know where it's going. You can't spend more money than you make. Well, here's our fresh uh, principle, a higher principle. This one by itself, I believe, can change our life, and that is contentment over consumerism. Not about just spending, spending, making sure we're, we're you know, kind of, you know, spending less than we make, but I'm talking about contentment. We live in a culture, and many of you would agree, where we are driven by more. We want more, 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 and we want it now, 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 and you're like, Colby, where does that come from? I believe we've lost the value of being content. Like I say, content, contentment, nobody gets excited about that. Like it sounds boring, right? It sounds kind of like this, this archaic idea, but here's my promise to you. Contentment is where you discover real peace. Like we sang that song, peace, peace, 
over me, over me. Well, that starts with us being content. Jesus said it this way, don't always be wishing for what you don't have. Waiting for that next thing to come out, waiting for that upgrade to come out for real life and real living are not related to how rich we are, to how much stuff we have, to how much we can acquire. In fact, I would say if you look at the people who are the happiest, oftentimes they're the ones with the least. You know why that is? Because they don't have a lot to worry about. They don't have things to secure, things to insure, things to store, things to manage, you know, things to, to lock up. They don't have anything. And if you don't believe me, go on a missions trip with us this year. We're gonna take several, uh, hopefully back and forth to Cuba. We're gonna begin a partnership with some people. But I'd say just, just go, to, go to a place where people who have nothing and you'll see that they are some of the happiest people you've ever met in your life. I don't know a lot of Spanish, but they just run around saying words like gracias, gracias, gracias. I know that one, right? <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm telling you, gratitude will unlock contentment in your life. Gratitude is huge. You'll, you'll go to a village, you'll see kids playing with, with sticks, really, and, and, and rocks, like kicking them around like, like soccer balls, but happier than my kids with an Xbox at home. Come on, somebody, that's true. In fact, my kids will start fighting at each, with each other when they play Xbox, I turn that thing off. I'm like, uh-uh, that's not there to make you unhappy. Like, it's true, what is that? That's contentment. It's this biblical value, and I love what Paul said. He said, I know what it is to be in need, and to some extent, all of us know that. And then he says, I also know what it is to have plenty, and I would argue that all of us know what that's like. But I've learned the secret. He said the secret of being content. Paul, there's a secret? Yeah, there's a secret. It took me a while, and I had to figure it out, and that is contentment in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or in, in want. And here's what I believe. The one thing that can ignite and unlock the value of contentment is to realize you are already blessed. Some of us just today, like before you leave, you need to just say, thank you, God, for blessing me. God, if it wasn't for your grace, like I would not be here. God, if you don't do anything else for me, you've done enough already. That's contentment. And contentment, write it down, is not finally having what you want, but it's having this awareness of what you already have, understanding that you are already blessed. You're blessed. The third thing, that a financial planner, someone would talk to you about is savings. And again, not just a biblical uh, or a, a financial principle, but a biblical one. You gotta save, right? You gotta save because um, car inspections are coming here in Pennsylvania. Ugh. You gotta save because braces, you know, your kids are growing up and they're gonna need braces. However, I would argue there's one danger in having a savings account. Now, for the most part, it's great, and you should do it, make sure you save, but there is one danger, and that is this. You could look to it as a source of security. In other words, you could say, all right, I'm gonna work my hardest, I'm gonna build this thing up, I'm gonna make sure that, that if anything happens, watch this, I can take care of myself. I got this. And this is what we often do. We, we look to our savings as our source 
of security. And so I'm not saying don't save, save, but be focused on, write it down, God dependence over independence. Make sure you are God dependent, not independent. So build a savings account, do it. But don't do it for the purpose of insulating yourself from everything that could go, possibly will go wrong in your life. But this is what we try to do, and I hear it all the time, I wanna be financially secure, I wanna be financially secure, I wanna be financially secure. Like, like that's fine, save, but don't ever for one second think your finances can make you secure, that you'll find security in that. Find your security in God alone. In fact, this verse says it beautifully, Proverbs 18, 11, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it, a wall too high to scale. In other words, I got my riches, I got my wealth, I'm good, I'm protected, nothing can get me in here, I've built my fort of financial security. It doesn't work that way. That your wealth in and of itself cannot, will not secure you. You need God on your side to live this, really this life of trust in him, to have our security in him, our source of strength in him. Do you know who the most generous people are in America? On average, like the poorer you are, the more generous you are. Did you know that? Because the, the poorer you are, you realize, man, I don't have anything anyway. I, you know, I have to trust God with everything. And so you can be more, more generous. I'm just saying be God dependent, not independent. Don't look at your savings account as your source of security. But look to God. Proverbs 30, 8 and 9 says, give me neither poverty or, or riches. You know who wrote this? The richest guy in the world. Isn't that funny? Like the, the wealthiest guy, the wisest guy, you know, known to man, said, give me neither poverty nor riches, but only like what I need for today. I love that. God, don't give me those other things because if you do, here's what happens. I may have too much. I might disown you. I might say things like, well, who is God? I don't even need God. God doesn't help me anyway, or I may become poor and steal, and so to dishonor the name of the Lord. Don't give me either one of those. God, just give me what I need for today. Some of us should add that to our prayers every single day. In fact, write this down. Make a fresh commitment not to trust riches, but to trust in God who richly provides. Let him be your source of security and strength. Is this helping anybody? Because I'm really just trying to give you something beyond just the numbers. The numbers are important, all right? Do the numbers. But these are fresh principles for us. And in the area of investing, here's the principle to think of, stewardship over ownership. I love that. Stewardship over ownership. Like you're not investing with the attention of, of what you have to grow. You're investing it with the person who owns it in mind. That's what a steward is, did you know that? A steward manages something that doesn't belong to them. One of the greatest financial principles I ever learned in my life was that God owns it all, I'm just his manager. Right? I'm, just his, I'm just the steward of what he's given me and blessed me with. This church operates by this principle right here. My family, we operate by this principle right here. If we can get this right here, I'm telling you, if you could figure out a way to leverage everything that you have, 
Like your time, your ideas, your, your, your gifts, right? Your resources, your house, your car, your money. Like, God, is there a way that I can go out to dinner but take someone who doesn't know you and introduce them to you? on my way. God, is there a way that I could, I could have some sort of app, you know, that somebody would connect me because they need a ride to someplace and I could use my car and go pick them up and drop them off and the whole way tell them about Jesus. There is, it's called Uber, right? Or be a taxi driver or whatever. Like when, when, when we see this principle at play, that we understand that everything that we have, everything that we have is God's and we're leveraging it for his purposes. In fact, write this down. All that I have is a temporary resource to expand God's eternal purpose. This is one of the most important principles that you and I can learn. And this is not, by the way, just your tithe. This is not just like the 10, 10%. This is everything. God, everything I have is yours. Jesus gave us this principle himself in Matthew 6. He said, do not store up treasure for yourself on this earth. Like don't make all your investments matter for, for just this earth because it's not going to last. He says where moth and rust destroy, thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth, moths and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. In fact, I was reading the, the one-year Bible. It's kind of what I do every day if you're kind of following along that pattern in the one-year Bible. Yesterday's verse was Matthew 13, 44 said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When one man found it, he hid it again and in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. In other words, when you discover what really matters the most, like you will leverage everything that you have for that thing that matters the most. And just asking God, hey God, like we wanna make sure our mind is geared more towards stewardship than ownership. And I promise you it changes everything. The last principle here, write it down and I'll be done, is that if you have anything left, right, the, the financial people, they'll tell you, all right, if you have anything left and, and this will make an impact, you know, your, your, your year-end giving and your, your returns is a last resort, think about giving. Well, here's the higher principle at play. And honestly, desperately what we want this church to be known for. Um, People can say whatever they want to, you know, in Erie and beyond about this church. They can say the music's too loud, the pastor's a little weird and crazy, and all that would be true, maybe. But more than anything, we want to be known for generosity, write it down, over misery. We want to be known to be a, a generous church. You know what the opposite of being generous is? It's a miser. It's where we get this word, misery. And honestly, the most miserable people I know are often the stingiest people I know. Have you ever found that to be true? And the happiest people that I know are generally the most generous people I know. Why is that? I believe this is something that God planted within us. Jesus himself said this, and it's recorded in Acts 20, that it's fun. He said it's more blessed to give than to receive that word blessed in the in the Greek is the word happy that when you give watch this it makes you happy that we're blessed by this this church operates by this principle listen we don't have like this overwhelming budget and things coming in but this church has given just in the last year alone over $106,000 beyond our walls not because this is what we want to be known for 
We just believe that at the end of the, our time here on this earth is not about how much stuff we can accumulate. But honestly, it's more about how much we can give away. Give away, give away. You know, that's a thread that runs throughout scripture is this idea of, of giving away. And it's one of these principles that honestly makes no sense to us. God says things like, well, the last shall be first, the first shall be last. God says things like, if you really wanna you know, find your life, you have to lose it. You have to give it away. Of course, God gave his first and best for our behalf. Like if you're gonna become closer to Jesus, you're gonna become more a follower of Jesus, you don't become more greedy. You become more, more generous. And some of the, the, the scriptures, in fact, we, we opened up with it in 1 Timothy. Some of this is called pastoral epistles, and, which means it's kind of uh, a word from, from Paul to these young church planners. So, so it's written to me. And Paul says this to me. He says, um, Colby, command the church to do good. All right, church, do good. There you go. I did it. Do good. Hey, you know that place that you're gonna go to lunch after church today? You know that person that's gonna serve you and take care of you and, and, and refill your drinks and, and look after you? Hey, do good. Like, leave the biggest tip of your life today, all right, in Jesus' name. Like, just bless the socks off someone. You know what that's gonna do? It's gonna make you happy. Like, it really will. You are more blessed when you give than when you receive. He says, command them to do good, be rich in good deeds, and be generous. And if you do that, here's what's gonna happen. I know what's gonna happen, Colby. You're gonna tell me that Erie's gonna be a better place because of it. You're gonna tell me that, that the world's gonna be a better place because, because I'm generous and because I give. You're gonna tell me that we're all gonna lock hands together and sing Hands Across America, right? Anybody remember that, that song? All the celebs came together. Hands across America. No. Does he sing every single week? Yes, I do. If I can, I will work it in. Those are true. It will make a difference in this community. I promise you that. When we're generous and we're rich in good deeds, it will make a difference in the world. I promise you that. But that's not what God's word says. Like, like, look what it says. When you're willing to do these things in this way, you will lay up treasure for yourself. Wait, wait, this is for me? It's kind of like this gets credited to your account for, for yourself as a firm foundation for the coming age so that, and this is really what I want us to grab a hold of, is that you may take hold of the life that really is truly Life that you understand there's more than just working the numbers. There's more than just spending and, and, and saving and, and earning and giving and, and all those things. There's more to that. But you and I would take hold of the life that's truly life. Understand the greater principles and earning. It's, it's calling over compensation. A greater principle of spending, it's, it's contentment, being, being okay with where you are. Like not, not finally looking towards something else to have over consumerism. You know, it's being God dependent, not, not independent, not looking to your savings as a source of your security and strength. And ultimately, like being a giver, generosity over misery, and then you'll experience the life 
that's truly life. And I believe that with my whole heart. This is not a financial plan. This is not something that's gonna, you know, that you, this is a one and done. You need to apply this to, to your life. Let this be a catalyst to how God wants to work in and through your life. But I think this is a really good starting place. Would you bow your heads with me today? Maybe you need to ask yourself in this moment, am I, am I living that way? Am I putting my time, my effort, my energy, my resources, God, am I leveraging everything you've given me to, to make an eternal difference? Or am I living just kind of with the, just the temporary stuff in mind, getting, getting what's due me, getting my next? Maybe God has uh, placed on your heart just some, some conviction today of the call that he's put on your life. Some of you have run from that call for a long, long time. And you keep running, maybe because it's financially better for you or maybe because you think it's better for your family. Can I urge you just to, to stop and ask God? God, what would you have me do? Maybe not listen to all the other voices, but husbands, fathers, when you said I do, man, your main mission, your main calling is to serve God, is to serve your wife, to serve your family. Like it starts there. It starts there. I want to talk to those of you while we're, while we're bowing, allowing God to speak to our hearts about this idea of giving away. What does that mean? Whoever wants to really find their life will lose it for my sake. Well, God gave his first and best for you so that none of us would have to spend eternity apart from God. And really this is kind of a, you can mirror it, mirror it to our, our financial situation that all of us were in debt. All of us owed this payment. The payment we owed was, was death because of our sin. Because our sin separates us from God. And God said, hey, let me take care of that debt. Let me give you pardon for that debt. And the way I'm gonna do it is through my son Jesus. And I'm gonna give you my best so that in turn I can have a relationship with you as you call on his name as you believe that, that he died for your sins it's really this, this transaction that takes place and for some of you this honestly is why you're here today because there's a debt that you owe that you could not pay but the good news is, is that you don't have to that it's already been paid for. And the worst thing that you can do is to pay for your own sin and separation from God when it's already been paid for. And it's already available to you. Today, you just need to receive that payment and you need to receive that pardon. So that's why you're here today. And you say, Colby, how do I do that? Well, we pray. We ask God to make us new. We ask God to forgive us of our sin. We put our faith in Jesus Christ and his life and death on the cross and his resurrection and we believe that in that moment, he conquered the sin that's in my life. And as I confess him as Lord, as I come under him, then I'm saved, I'm, I'm made new, I have this fresh start. And if you'd say, that's why I'm here today, Colby, when you pray that prayer, I'm praying it with you, count me in. If that's you, would you just raise your hand all across this room, just hold it up high, just kinda say, I'm, I'm letting go. Release me of my debt. Sin has no hold on me anymore. I'm gonna believe and trust in Jesus Christ and his payment for my sin, that's awesome. Praise God for all of you holding your hands up high. You can put them down. Repeat this prayer in your heart or whisper it to God. He knows, Jesus, today I surrender my life. Thank you for giving me your best 
And from this moment, I'm gonna give you my best, but I need your power. I need the Holy Spirit living inside of me. And so I confess you as Lord. I believe that your death on the cross saved me from my sin. And from this moment on, I repent and I turn towards you with everything that I have. I confess you as Lord and Savior in Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church, let's erupt. Let's thank God for those today that had their debt canceled in Jesus' name. Awesome, awesome. Praise God for you, praise God for you. We are always encouraged to know that God is using Elevate to bless people's lives. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, share your story online at elevatechurch.com.